0: chapter thirty one of the herapath property by j s fletcher this librivox recording is in the public domain the interrupted dinner party triffitt's recent inquiries in connection with the herapath affair had been all very well from a strictly professional point of view but not so well from another for nearly twelve months he had been engaged to a sweet girl who he was very fond of and who thoroughly reciprocated his affection up to the time of the herapath murder he had contrived to spend a certain portion of each day with her and to her he had invariably devoted the whole of his sundays in this love affair he was joined by his friend to whom triffitt's young lady had introduced her great friend with whom carver had promptly become infatuated these ladies both very young and undeniably charming spent the greater part of the working week at the school of needlework in south kensington where they fashioned various beautiful objects with busy needles sundays they gave up to their swains and every sunday ended with a little dinner of four at some cheap restaurant whereat you could get quite a number of courses at the fixed price of half a crown or so and drink light wine which was very little dearer than pale ale all parties concerned looked forward throughout the week to these joyful occasions the girls wore their best frocks and the young men came out bravely in the matter of neckties there was laughter and gaiety and a general escape from the prosaic matters which obtained from monday to saturday consequently triffitt felt it a serious thing that, that attention to this herapath business had come to interfere with his love-making and his Sunday feast of mirth and gladness, more than once he had been obliged to let Carver go alone to the usual rendezvous. He himself had been running hither and thither after chances of news which never materialized while his sweetheart played gooseberry to the more favored people, and as he was very much in love, Triffitt had often been tempted to throw his clues and his theories to the winds and to vow himself to the service of venus rather than to that of mercury but on that sunday which saw the white-haired lady interviewing peggy wynne and selwood triffitt to his great delight found that newspaper requirements were not going to interfere with him the hue and cry after the missing burchill was dying down the police so davidge told triffitt in strict confidence were of the firm opinion that burchill had escaped to the continent probably within a few hours of the moment wherein he made his unceremonious exit from mr halfpenny's office even markledew was not so keen about the herapath affair as he had been his policy was a new day a new affair the herapath mystery was becoming a little stale it would get staler unless a fresh and startling development took place as it was nothing was likely to arise which would titillate the public until barthorpe herapath now safely lodged in the remand prison was brought to trial or unless burchill was arrested consequently triffitt was not expected to make up half or a whole column of recent and sensational herapath news every morning and so he gladly took this sunday for a return to the primrose paths he and carver met their sweethearts they took them to the Albert Hall Sunday afternoon concert nothing better offering in the middle of winter they went to tea at the sweethearts lodgings later in the evening they carried them off to the accustomed Sunday dinner triffitt and carver had become thoroughly seasoned men of the world in the matter of finding out good places whereat to dine well and cheaply they knew all the soho restaurants they had sampled several in oxford street and in tottingham court road by sheer luck they had found one an italian restaurant in south kensington which was in their opinion superior to all of their acquaintance this establishment had many advantages for lovers to begin with it bore a poetic name the Café Venezia. triffid who frequently read byron and shelley to his adored one said it made one think of moonlight and gondolas and similar adjuncts to what he called parfait amour. Then it was divided off into little cabinets, just holding four people. That was an advantage when you were sure of your company, and for the prefix of two shillings they gave you quite a good dinner. Also, their chianti was of an exceptional quality, and according to the proprietor, it came straight from Siena. On this Sunday evening, then, Triffitt on one side of the table with his lady love, Carver on the other with his, made merry with no thought of anything but the joys of the moment. They had arrived at the last stage of the feast. The heroes puffed their cigarettes and sipped Benedictine. The heroines daintily drank their sweetened coffee. They all chatted gaily out of the fullness of their youthful hearts. Not one of them had any idea that anything was going to happen and in the midst of their lightsomeness triffitt who faced the mirror started dropped his cigarette upset his liqueur glass and turned pale for an instant he clutched the tablecloth staring straight in front of him then with a great effort he controlled his emotion and with a cautious hissing of breath gazed warningly at carver sh whispered triffitt not a word and don't move don't show a sign any of you carver turn your head very slowly and look behind you at the bar at the entrance to that restaurant there was a bar whereat it was possible to get a drink there were two or three men so occupied standing at this bar at that moment carver leisurely turning to inspect them suddenly started as violently as triffitt had started a moment before good heavens he muttered burchill Quiet, commanded Triffitt. Quiet, all of you! By gad, this is! He ended in an eloquent silence, and with a glare at his companions, which would have imposed silence on an unruly classroom, he was already at work. The quick, sure journalist instinct had come up upon top and was rapidly realizing the situation—that the man standing there, openly, calmly taking a drink of some sort, was Frank Burchill he had no more doubt than of his own identity the thing was what was to be done triffitt was as quick of action as of thought and in two seconds he had made up his mind with another warning glance at the startled girls he bent across the table to carver carver he whispered do exactly what i tell you when burchill goes out trixie and i will follow him you pay the bill then you and Letty jump in the first taxi you can get and go to Scotland Yard. Find Davidge. If Davidge isn't there, get somebody else. Wait there until I ring you up. What I'll do will be this. We'll follow Burchill, and if I see that he's going to take a train or a cab, I'll call help and stop him. You follow me. As soon as I've taken action or run him to Earth, I'll ring up Scotland Yard, and then he's going announced carver who had taken advantage of the many mirrors to keep his eye on burchill he's off i understand Trivett was already leading his sweetheart quietly out in the gloom of the street he saw burchill's tall figure striding away towards cromwell road Trivett's companion was an athletically inclined young woman long walks in the country on summer sundays had toughened her powers of locomotion and she strode out manfully in response to Triffitt's command to hurry up. "'Lucky that you are with me, Trixie,' exclaimed Triffitt. "'You make a splendid blind. Supposing he does look round and see that he's being followed. Why, he'd never think that we were after him. Slip your hand in my arm. He'll think we're just a couple of sweethearts going his way. Gad, what a surprise! And what a cheek he has with all those bills out against him!' "'You don't think he'll shoot you if he catches sight of you?' asked Trixie anxiously. "'He'd be sure to recognize you, wouldn't he?' "'We'll not come within shooting distance,' replied Triffitt grimly. "'All I want to do is track him. "'Of course, if he gets into any vehicle, I'll have to act. "'Let's draw a bit nearer.' "'Burchill showed no signs of hailing any vehicle, indeed. "'He showed no signs of anything but cool confidence. "'It was certainly near nine o'clock.' of a dark winter evening but there were plenty of artificial light in the streets and burchill made no attempt to escape its glare he walked on smoking a cigar jauntily swinging an umbrella he passed and was passed by innumerable people more than one policeman glanced at this tall figure and took no notice and Trivett chuckled cynically there you are trixie he said "'There's a fellow who's wanted about as badly as can be, "'whose picture's posted up outside every police station in London "'and at every port in England, "'and he walks about and stares at people "'and passes policemen as unconcernedly as I do. "'The fact of the case is that if I went to that Bobby "'and pointed Burchill out and told the Bobby who he is, "'all that Bobby would say would be, "'Who are you a kidding of?' or words to that equivalent and so still ahead he goes and we after him and where burchill evidently knew very well where he was going he crossed cromwell road went up queen's road turned into queen's gate terrace and leisurely pursuing his way proceeded to cut through various streets and thoroughfares towards kensington high street always he looked forward Never once did he turn, nor seemed to have any suspicion that he was being followed. There was nothing here of the furtive slink, the frightened slouch of the criminal escaped from justice. The man's entire bearing was that of fearlessness. He strolled across Kensington High Street in the full glare of light, before the town hall and under the noses of several policemen. Five minutes later triffitt pulled himself and trixie up with a gasp the chase had come to an end for that moment at any rate boldly openly with absolute nonchalance burchill walked into a brilliantly lighted entrance of the herapath flats end of chapter thirty one